uh, our Bible readings uh, then from uh, the Old and the New Testament, uh, reading first of all uh, from the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah and chapter 54. Uh, we want to read the whole of this chapter, Isaiah chapter uh, 54. Uh, and this evening, as, as we're thinking uh, about brotherly love, we'll refer to the 13th verse uh, in this chapter. All your children shall be taught uh, by the Lord. And, and it, was, it was interesting. Uh, last week, I was speaking to one of the elders in, in Newton Ards just about his family uh, and how wonderful it was that his children are believers. Uh, they're involved and fully committed uh, to, to the church and their wives are believers. And I was asking him uh, how he wrestled with this and dealt with this as he uh, brought his children up. And, and it was this verse. Uh, we'll be thinking of in a different context tonight uh, in some ways. But it was this verse, he said, uh, that he held on to. All your children shall be taught by the Lord. And, and he held on to the first word in the verse. All your children uh, and what a verse it is uh, for, for parents here. Let us hear God's word. Uh, Isaiah 54, the whole of this chapter, uh, and then reading in First Thessalonians and chapter 4 after. Sing a barren one who did not bear, break forth into singing and cry aloud, you ha- who have not been in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For you will spread abroad to the right and to the left and your offspring will possess the nations and will people the desolate cities. Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced. For you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood you will remember no more. For your maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer, the God of the whole earth he is called. For the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. For a brief moment I deserted you, But with great compassion I will gather you. In overflowing anger for a moment I hid my face from you. But with everlasting love I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. This is like the days of Noah to me, as I swore that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth. So I have sworn that I will not be angry with you and will not rebuke you. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. O afflicted one, storm-tossed and not comforted, behold, I will set your stones in antinomy and lay your foundations with sapphires. I will make your pinnacles of agate, your gates of carbuncles, and all your wall of precious stones. All your children shall be taught by the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children. In righteousness you shall be established, 
you shall be far from oppression, for you shall not fear, and from terror, for it shall not come near you. If anyone stirs up strife, it is not from me. Whoever stirs up strife with you shall fall because of you. Behold, I have created the smith who blows the fire of coals and produces a weapon for its purpose. I have also created the ravager to destroy. No weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed. And you shall confute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their vindication from me, declares the Lord. And then our New Testament reading in First Thessalonians uh, chapter 4, reading at verse uh, number 9 in the first three chapters of Thessalonians, the apostle addresses the congregation and then he defends, he, he defends his, his reasons for leaving them. Uh, he, he had to leave Thessalonica very swiftly and he explains that in chapters 2 and 3 and then he comes in chapters 4 and 5 to address various issues uh, which were in the congregation and we're looking at verses 9 to 12, uh, this paragraph about brotherly love. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. And to aspire to live quietly, and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands, as we instructed you, so that you may live properly before outsiders, and be dependent on no one. If you have a Bible this evening, maybe turn to First Thessalonians chapter 4. Uh, which we read from together, uh, looking at verses 9 to 12. I'm thinking this evening of brotherly love. Have you ever visited the sixth largest city in the USA? It is nicknamed Philly or the Athens of America. Philadelphia is the city, of course, with a population of 1.6 million this economic and cultural center for the Delaware Valley, a city founded by William Penn in 1682, the Declaration of Independence being signed there in 1776. In the 19th century, many Irish people emigrated to Philadelphia. And the first American hospital was opened in that city. It's got 200 libraries, something of an interest to some of us. A vibrant stock exchange, interested, interesting to some other people. The name of the city, though, means brotherly love. And its motto is from Hebrews 13.1, let brotherly love continue. Philadelphia is the Greek word behind the English words in verse 9 of our chapter. 
brotherly love. Two Greek words, as you probably know, are combined. Philio, meaning love, and Delphi, meaning brother. The word Philadelphia was used in Greek literature and in the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Old Testament, only and always of blood relations. And it's only in the New Testament writings that the word Philadelphia was used of spiritual brothers and spiritual sisters, Christians in the church of Jesus Christ. People who have a common heavenly father and are therefore related to one another and so love each other, not as we love our enemy or our neighbor, but as we love a brother. This is the theme of verses 9 to 12 of chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians. It's one of six subjects addressed by the apostle in these last two chapters of this letter. These subjects were no doubt related by Timothy from his visit to Thessalonica as he reported to the apostle now in Corinth about the state of that congregation. Paul, Silas and Timothy had founded the congregation in Thessalonica a few, a few months previously, but they had to leave quickly. And Paul had sent Timothy back to see how the new believers were doing. He brings this report of the state of the congregation in Thessalonica. And among it, the apostle addresses this subject of brotherly love. There are three aspects of brotherly love that, that arise from this paragraph. One is that brotherly love should be present in our lives. And verse 9, read with me this verse again. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. Brotherly love should be present in our lives. Paul claims that the new Christians in Thessalonica, just Christians for a few months, have been taught by God to love each other. He does not need to teach them, he says. He does not need to hold a master class, a seminar, a series of sermons on brotherly love. He does not have to spill any ink, write any correspondence, or tap a keyboard. Because they have another teacher to teach them about brotherly love. A better teacher, a perfect teacher, an infinite teacher. A teacher who knows them fully and deeply and truly and is with them constantly. He says in verse 9, you are taught by God to love one another. This idea of the apostle here is not new. It's not something which he forms and creates, but it's one that we find in the Old Testament prophecies about the work of God in the New Covenant age. One feature of the New Testament era is that believers will all be taught by God. We read of this in Isaiah 54 verse 13. All your children 
shall be taught by the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children. And if for a few moments we dissect this claim of the apostle, of disciples being taught by God, we discover three ways in which this happens. One way is that we are taught by God the Father to love each other through his commandments. Throughout the Bible, and especially in the Old Testament, God gives commands to his people to love others. For example, in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, we read, Love your neighbor as yourself. In that very same chapter, in the 34th verse, we read, Love the stranger among you as yourself. Thus, in Old Testament passages, God the Father teaches his people to love others. God the Son also has taught us to love one another. He has taught us by his example. He laid down his very life for us and he exhorts us to lay down our lives for one another. In John thirteen thirty four, he said, Love one another as I have loved you. The love of Jesus for us is to be both the example and the motivation for us loving one another. The style of Jesus' love and the degree of Jesus' love is to shape the love that we are to show to one another. Our brotherly love is not to be weak. It's not to be niggardly. It's not to be poor, but lavish like the love of Jesus. So we are taught by God the Son to love one another. The context of that statement of Jesus was Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. He took on the humble task that others should have performed. That is the practical nature of the love for one another which we are to show. It includes those humble tasks, those lowly roles, those actions which are all about giving and not getting, serving and not being served. Thirdly, we are taught by God, the Holy Spirit, to love one another. And maybe this is the main point being made here by the Apostle, for it's the third person of the Godhead who is the closest person to this statement in verse 9. In verse 8 we read, God gives his Holy Spirit to you. Thus the Holy Spirit is the prominent member of the Godhead in this context. So when we read, you yourselves have been taught by God, we are not wrong in thinking this is a reference to the Holy Spirit teaching us. The Holy Spirit effects a change in us when we are born again. He works faith and repentance in our hearts. 
He takes away the hardness and unbelief of our spirit and brings us in love and trust and repentance to Jesus Christ. And all parts of our being are transformed. We do, we know, and we love new things. And one object of our renewed affections is the people of God. As the Holy Spirit indwells us, as the Spirit fills us, as the Spirit guides us, we are taught by Him to love one another. And this element, this third element of being taught by the Spirit is crucial for us. We can have the commands of God the Father to love one another. But how do we do it in a meaningful way? Not everyone likes us calling round with them at their house. Some are private people. So how do we love that style of person? How do we love the children of our church in a safe way? Is praying for them enough? How do we love the members of the opposite sex in our congregation in a pure way? We have the command to love one another. But how do we do this? We need the teaching of the Holy Spirit to tease out for us in practical circumstances how to love one another. And further, though we have the example of Jesus loving us, how do we contextualize that into our congregation? You would be affronted, even angered by the deacons on the door if they insisted on washing your feet next Sabbath morning. What are they trying to say here, you know? So what are the feet washing jobs in this congregation? Perhaps serving coffee. Perhaps cleaning the church building. Perhaps entertaining the visiting preachers, <clears throat> well, looked after today, we have the commands. We have the example of Jesus. But how do we work this out in our congregation? We are taught by God to love one another. All of us have wrestled with teaching methods. Tell them what to do. Then show them what to do is a common practice within schools. All of us have considered in children or grandchildren or church children growing up the, 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 the balance between nature and nurture. But here's another level. Here's a, a layer of the Spirit of God teaching us to love one another. And this third element of being taught by the Spirit of God, not only in the area of brotherly love, but in all Christian duties, is so helpful for us. Because there's many decisions that we make and with which we struggle as disciples of Jesus. Buying a car, we ponder how much to spend, the level of model to purchase, the amount of extras to include. We're wrestling in our hearts with need 
and with greed. And in that moment of wrestling, we can pray that the Spirit will guide us in our purchase. Some of you have elderly parents, and you wonder how best you can love them. Can they stay on their own, you ask? Should you bring them to stay with you, you wonder? Do they need to go into a nursing home? You ponder. God, the Spirit will teach you how to love one another. And for parents here, what a comfort this statement is. That God, the Spirit, is working in the hearts of our believing children in our absence. As the apostle wrote this ninth verse, he was in Corinth, which was 200 miles away from Thessalonica. He was not present to guide them, to instruct them, to direct them, to warn them, to teach those young believers. But the Spirit was there, teaching them, guiding them, helping them. And perhaps you are believing children or grandchildren who are not here with you now. They're at university. They're away working in some other place. You can trust the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in their hearts. Trust that the Spirit will guide them in their choice of friends and in their use of their free time, just as it was with Joseph in Egypt and Daniel in Babylon, and Rahab in Jericho, and Esther in Persia, and Mary in Nazareth. So it will be with your believing son and your believing daughter. Trust the ministry of the indwelling spirit in them to keep them. The Apostle John made a similar point in his letter when he considered the many false teachers circling new believers in the first century. He wrote in 1 John 2.20, You have an unction from the Holy One, and you know all things. Our brotherly love should be present in our lives. Secondly, Brotherly love should be progressing in our lives. Read with me verse 10 of chapter 4. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. The new believers in Thessalonica had already been making progress in this grace of brotherly love. They had progressed their love by showing it to more and more believers. They had shown brotherly love to Paul, to Silas, to Timothy, that team that came to their city. They had shown brotherly love to one another and now to other believers in the region of Macedonia. Perhaps they had sent financial help to an impoverished congregation in the region of Macedonia. Maybe they had sent some members to strengthen a weak fellowship in the province. Perhaps they had commissioned a mission worker to evangelize a new district. Over the past months, since Paul was with them, 
their love had been progressing. They lived in an era of severe persecution from Jews and pagans, and they recognized the importance of loving fellow believers. But the apostle exhorts them here to love more and more. And perhaps we wonder if they did. And we know the answer to that question in 2 Corinthians 8, 1-3, written after this letter. The church in Thessalonica, along with other churches in Macedonia, expanded their love to include Christians in Judea who were suffering in a famine. The apostle describes their progressing love in this way. The churches of Macedonia, where Thessalonica was, gave according to their means and beyond their means, taking part in the relief of the saints. Thessalonica was a business hub. Profit and wealth was at the center of the lives of many of its citizens. It lay on the busy Ignatian trade route. Many in the people were all about getting. But brotherly love was about giving. Brotherly love should be progressing in our lives. No doubt the deacons of this congregation give generously to efforts in the community. But is there more that you could do? At the end of the year, the congregation gives money to different missionary bodies throughout the earth. Are there more groups that you could give to? As a congregation, we're to have a progressing brotherly love. And all of us should be progressing in our brotherly love. We should progress the ways we show love to one another. Do we bake for each other? Give car lifts to each other? Phone each other? Speak to each other? Pray for each other? Encourage each other? Forgive each other? But are there further ways that we can love each other? And are there people we could expand our love to? Perhaps there's someone in the congregation you've never spoken to or rarely spoken to, we could make a point in speaking to them. And in that way, we'd progress our brotherly love. Our love is to be like a seed that is growing in the ways we express it and in the number of people whom we show it to. And thirdly, brotherly love should be practical in our lives. Verses 11 and 12. Let's read these verses again. And to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your own hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. In these words, the apostle is addressing a particular group 
within the church in Thessalonica called the Atakoi. He describes them as the idol four times in First and Second Thessalonians. For example, chapter 5, verse 14. The word was used in the first century of an apprentice playing truant. The lad should have been at his work, but he was absent. The reference is to some believers so excited about Jesus' second coming that they had stopped working. They were out in the markets, the bazaars, the shipyard of Thessalonica, debating the second coming of Jesus and living off their Christian brothers. In this statement, Paul corrects the behavior of the idol at Akawai. Three practical ways of them expressing brotherly love are mentioned in these verses. One is aspire to live quietly. The group of idlers have been extreme in their zeal. They have misunderstood and misapplied the second coming of Jesus. They are to live quietly. This word describes the calm sea after a storm. So these believers, these enthusiasts, these zealots, they're to calm down and live quietly. Secondly, mind your own affairs. The homes and businesses of the Atakoi were being neglected. Their bills should be paid by themselves. And their families should be fed with their own money. Mind your own affairs. And thirdly, work with your own hands. The Greeks despised manual work. They argued that slaves were for that type of work. Many Greeks spent their time debating philosophy. The Atakoi were acting just like them. Paul exhorts them to do manual work, to pay their bills and fulfill their responsibilities. And he adds two reasons here for them to do this. One is that outsiders will see you neglecting your duties and they will despise Christianity, he asserts. And secondly, he claims you will burden your brothers in the church by neglecting manual labor to support your family. So he says, show the congregation brotherly love by not being a parasite. Perhaps this is the closest part of the Bible that addresses the farce in Stormont. Political parties have championed their politics while neglecting their duties to rule the province. These three commands rebuke the Atakoi, the idol. Calm down. Mind your own business. Work with your hands. Brotherly love should be practical. We tend to think of love as an emotion, a warm feeling in the pit of our stomach. And while love does affect our body, this principally an action. Corinthians states, love is patient, is kind. Love does not envy. 
We can claim to love people. The Adekoi did. But let us show that we love them. We can claim to love our fellow church members, our parents, our siblings, our spouse, our children. But let us examine these relationships and consider how we are showing love to each one in practical action. Are our actions burdening others? Do we pull our weight as elders, as deacons, as members, as parents, as children? Our brotherly love is to be practical. Brotherly love is the most prominent Christian grace mentioned in the New Testament, so to be found as evidence of faith in a Christian. It's a very essential of our lives. We might not know every verse of the New Testament or every psalm in the Psalter, but we should have a present, progressing, practical love. But this is where we're humbled, isn't it? We know this command, but we also know we fall short of it. We don't love our brother and sister as we should. We've had wrong thoughts about them, said wrong words in private about them. We struggle to love one another. This is why our hope of salvation is only, can only, should only be in Jesus. We need his perfect life to cover our imperfect loving. On this point, he lived perfectly as on every point. He loved with a perfect love. He has and does love all his people, all his brethren perfectly. He loved the twelve perfectly. He loved the boisterous Peter, the quiet Andrew, the slow Thomas, the judgmental sons of thunder. Does we feel our lack of present progressive and practical love and repent of it. We receive afresh his perfect love lived in our place. Then that acceptance and that righteousness and that forgiveness, we look to the risen Jesus for strength to love his people. Brotherly love for all his people. A present, a practical, a progressive love and the strength of the risen and exalted Jesus. A massive push in our society is for diesel vehicles to be replaced by electric vehicles. The polluted to be replaced by the clean. And so we look to Jesus to replace our flawed Defective love, the pure, spirit-enabled love of Jesus. Shall we join in prayer and let us all pray? Father in heaven, we thank you for this part of your word. God, we thank you for your church. We thank you. For your people in this city of Thessalonica, you called out into union with yourself. We thank you that you love them and that you love your church.
Thank you for that incredible way in which you love us, unconditionally and eternally. Father, we praise you for this. We praise you that nothing will separate us from your love. We pray, Lord, that we will rejoice in your love, that we will be persuaded of your love, that we will explore your love, that we will be content in your love. We pray that you will help us to love one another, to love one another more. We pray for strength. We pray for creativity. We pray for the desire. We pray that your spirit will teach us, Lord, ways how to do this with grace and ingenuity and extravagance. Lord, we pray that you will so work in our hearts. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, the fellowship and communion of the Holy Spirit, rest on and abide with you all. Amen.